This episode is dedicated to all those youngsters out there that ever picked up a paintbrush or a pen and said, hey, let's go create something. Hello and welcome to My American Friend, a podcast about my American friend. We'll talk about whatever topic comes to mind. It's free thought, free association, religion, politics, food, COVID-19, not necessarily in that order, of course, as a way of gaining an insight and an understanding into someone else's life, particularly during this most challenging of times. It's a way to connect. I want to know what's happening outside of my sphere of influence. So yeah, I guess 15,000 kilometres or 9,000 miles away, I felt was a good place to start. Why? Well, I blame my dad. He introduced me to Alastair Cook's Letters from America. I was always fascinated by that, although in this case I'm from Australia, but I'm speaking to someone from America. I digress. Please, sit back, relax, grab yourself a VB or a Schlitz, or in my case, an ice-cold Coca-Cola, and I hope you enjoy listening to My American Friend. We are speaking with my American friend, Matt. Matt, how are you, sir? I'm, g- I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Val. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Nice to meet you. First, does this find you safe and well? And Yeah, yeah, I'm doing, doing pretty well, you know. Uh, I, you know adjusting to the, uh, to the pandemic era like anyone uh, in the world. But, uh, yeah, things are, things are pretty good over here. I'm in, the, I'm in, the, I'm in the, the Midwest, the heart of the Midwestern uh, United States. Uh, Indianapolis. Indianapolis, right, right, in Indiana. Let's see, Indianapolis, founded 6th January 1821, colloquially known as Indy. For the car lovers, you'll know what all of that means. Indianapolis uh, state capital, uh, according to the 2019 estimates from the U.S. Census, the consolidated population of Indianapolis and Marion County was just over 886,000. Wow, 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 there you go. 12, uh, 12.46 a.m. Sunday, uh, 12 degrees, winds east at 6 kilometres, 58% humidity. Hmm. Uh, and the mayor is Joe Hogsett. There you go. Look, I so appreciate you staying up this late, Matt. What, I'm, all, I'm always up this late. You, you work my, nights, most nights? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm teaching uh, four college courses uh asynchronously right now so they have me teaching online so i can set i I determine the time so i just tell my students you know uh text me afternoon (laughs) otherwise i'm sleeping in so that's pretty cool so i get i uh you know usually i'd be in the uh in the actual classroom but they've got me teaching uh virtually and it's going great mostly i teach teaching public speaking and i teach some visual art courses and communications uh it works because i'm naturally up late and this is usually when I make most of my of my art and get my writing done and stuff and grade papers. Your surname, pronouncing it correctly, Panfil. Panfil, yeah, that's right. Polish. It's. I was going to say, where does that hail from? It's so it's it's Polish. Yeah, okay. yeah. It, it, it's Polish. It can, It means uh, something like Lord of the Fields in uh, Poland. So you know, third third generation Polish, a proud Polish clan. Okay. Ah, and. Looking at uh, where you've been, you've you've been yeah Santa Fe, uh, Indiana, uh, travelled overseas. A lot of a lot of Europe and South America and Central America and and uh, 
Well, I guess that's really about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I guess I've been to Africa. I went to, I've been to Morocco. I've, yeah, I've, my wife and I, you know, anytime she's free, she's a doctor. So if she's got free time, we travel. At least in the, you know, in the old, in the, in the before times, that's what we do. We travel. So we're trying to travel in December. She has a couple weeks off. So we're trying to, uh, you know, to book someplace. We, we had this whole Cambodia, Thailand trip planned, but then it got, uh, it was in the middle of March. So that, that got, uh, got shunted. So we're trying to figure out, yeah, where to go next when we can. Love to travel. Now, where, where did you do most of your, your growing up? Yeah, I, I was I was raised here in, in 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 Indianapolis. I was born here and, and raised here, and then for school I wanted to go to film school, and I went out to Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is where I met Seth Kanoff. Ah, yes, the the connection. Yes, and so yes, yeah, so we were friends in New Mexico, and I lived out there for a few years, and then I went back to Indy because uh, my girlfriend at the time, who became my wife, um, she needed a, a roommate, and the the college was kind of um, it was changing hands, changing ownership. So it was kind of up in the air. So I decided to transfer and moved in with her. And then uh, and then we got an apartment and then we got another apartment and then we got a house. And, and I we'd always talked about maybe moving to, uh, uh, to like just Chicago or maybe out west to, uh, to California or something. But, well, I got a job as a working for a um, for an arts company as the as the uh, videographer um, who would do all of the all of the interviews for the artists. And I got to meet so many cool people in the city. And before we knew it, we had such a network here. And then she got a, she ended up going to med school and I went back to grad school. And then I founded this, um, this venue that I run. It's like a, like an art and music venue. And, uh, that was a few years back and that kind of took off. And before we knew it, we, we, you know, we kind of planted down roots. So we'll be here at least least for a while. I'd like to live near an ocean. That's like a dream. So maybe someday, you know, five, 10 years from now, we ever sell this house where you are right now and what you can see. Like if you were to stand up and turn around or, or look out the window, what are you seeing? Well, this is my this is my studio. Um, this is my basement studio. So it's filled with uh, actually a lot of crazy stuff. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a lot of uh, taxidermy uh, animals down here and sculptures and old books. And uh, this is just kind of like um, I've never – I've always had a tiny little room. Or back in grad school I had a little office, but now I actually have – all of the space down here. So this is uh this is where I tinker, and I'm in the basement. And if I look uh look outside, I see I see the street. <laughs> so we're located uh in a pretty pretty happening neighborhood on a busy on a busy street, uh, which I think is we got a good deal in the house because it was right on a busy street. But it's great, it's awesome. But yeah, this is my happy place down here for sure. I've got like fish and snakes and and lizards, all kinds of animals, strange art chimeras and stuff as the old uh, mgm saying goes ask gratia artis art for art's sake i i think i saw your uh, modus operandi was uh create things until you die yeah yeah tell me a little bit about um uh healer yeah yeah healer is a uh it's an all ages immersive art and music venue I, I sang in this rock band and um my bandmates were in a different band and they used to practice in this huge, empty office building, this abandoned office building, you know, with cubicles and stuff like that, from built in like the 70s or 80s in a, in a strip mall in the middle of nowhere across from a giant, like, um, car factory. And, uh, and so uh, I got a call. So they would practice in the space because my friend's dad um, owns the property. 
Um, he's like a like an old uh, nobility family, old money. Oh, my flower kind of money. Yes, yeah. So his dad owned, owned the whole property, and so you know they had full access to it. They could do whatever they wanted with the space. The drummer, who's a friend of mine, he said, "We're thinking of turning this into some kind of a venue, some kind of a music venue, you know. And do you want to like make some art? You want to decorate this place?" And I was like, "Yeah, of course." So I took over my friend Liz from grad school. I was I was in my second year of grad school doing intermedia art, and I've always loved installation art. I would do these temporary installations, and they'd be up for a few days, and then it would have to be it would have to be taken down. All these temporary installs, you know, like, like a pop up. Um, and they'd be themed like really crazy stuff. Like I tried, I got all this peat moss and soil, and then I had these re- glass reliquaries, and it was supposed to be like a temple, but dedicated to uh, to the animal kingdom. And I have these skulls floating in water, and so just <laughs> I had very visceral installations, but they'd always be temporary. And uh, as soon as I came inside the building, this office building, I was like, oh man, I, I could actually grow something here. It could be permanent. That was four year four years ago, and then we opened in 2017, and we uh, yeah, it's it's been great. Uh, even during during COVID, been creating things there and making kind of an outdoor space. Um, it's a lot of fun. So it's so we kept the cubicles, and each cubicle is a themed immersive installation. So one is like a forest that you go into and you can meditate, and another is like a 90s arcade full of video games and arcade games, and another room is. Um, it's like a filled with TV screens and a robot. Uh, yeah, so it's all of these, all these themed little rooms. Another has like a trampoline and it's surrounded by fake waterfalls and kind of been my job has been the art director. And then I have guest artists come in and do an install and, and have art on the walls. And I use the connections from the, from the arts company where I was the uh, videographer. Um, and we're kind of in hibernation mode right now because of the pandemic, but it's not so bad because we were, we were closed for a year just to get everything up to, up to code. And we had to get all of our permits and, you know, we got a bar put in, in the old break room and, and we had to like make everything fire safe. And I had to learn how to do, you know, basic electricity to make sure that everything was up up to code for the fire marshal and, and the police and all the liquor people and, you know, all that. So, so I'm used to being in hibernation mode. The, the, the photograph of the video editor and the photograph of the video editor in isolation, it's the same photo. Most definitely. Now, your um, installations, the, the the weird, wacky ones you were talking about, was, was, was there controversy there? I mean, you know, Andre Serrano, Piss Christ kind of controversy. Is that how? I'm a, far- I'm a, big, I'm a big Piss Christ fan, by the way. <laughs> there's a, I mean, there's so many arts groups I was inspired by, like Meow Wolf in Santa Fe. When we went to school there, Seth and I, when I went to school back in Santa Fe, it was just these ragtag, you know, townies who would put on these underground art shows. And now they're like a multi-billion dollar, huge art company. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've always loved like immersive theater, like Sleep No More in New York City and um, uh, Cieldo Morales, installation artist. His work's always been really inspiring to me. Um, so yeah, some of it's kind of been controversial. I mean, I made this Jimmy Swagger altar and Jimmy Swagger is this American televangelist he went to jail for a while because uh, he did some kind of like embezzlement scam, <laughs> and uh, and he's still he's still alive. My friend, who's really weird, like way weirder than me, for some reason he collected all of Jimmy Swaggart's vinyl records from the seventies. We we made a big altar to Jimmy Swaggart, and it has five five turntables playing his vinyl sermons on repeat. 
And then um, all of these angels, and it's an altar to him and the gold coins everywhere. People, people come to that and they're like, they don't really fully understand what it's about. And I just tell them, well, my friend had all the records and we thought we might as well do something with them. So, but it, that's, that's one of the creepiest things in the whole place. Cause it just gives you, it's strange, you know, hearing his sermon, five different sermons playing at the same time. I love art. That's, you know, I think art should disturb and shock and unsettle a little bit. We're in all ages space, but we have definitely done some shows that were directed more to kids. Like we've done some kids rock, which is like a group where kids do uh, like, you know, like school of rock and they learn guitar and, and they rock out young kids. And we had to cover up everything that had nipples. <laughs> I felt like I was being censored, but but I agreed to do it. So I went around the space and I covered up all the nip, all the nipples, even alien nipples, which you'd think would be okay. I mean, we all have nipples, but uh, so yeah, yeah, some controversy, but uh, uh generally pretty pretty popular. Just um, looking at, at at Indiana and Indianapolis, I mean, the the history, the rich history, just the actors and the artists uh, that have come out. It's uh, it's there and it's in the it's in the fabric. Um, uh, Kurt, I think of Kurt Vonnegut. He stands out as far as our. We have a lot of writers, and he's probably up up there with my favorites. A lot of people have come out of of Indiana. I mean, Michael Jackson was from Gary, which is a town on the on the on the north northwest Gary, Indiana. Greg Kinnear, Carol Lombard, Carl Malden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Incredible. Steve McQueen, the list goes on and on. David David Letterman. Uh, one of my favourite comedians, you know, thanks to Dad, because he was so very much into uh, that uh, American uh, humour. Uh, Red Skelton. Yeah, right. Jazz and, oh, man, songwriters, Hoagie Carmichael, uh, Crystal Gale. Like you said, the Jacksons. Well, all of the Jacksons. Uh, all of them out of Gary, Gary, Indiana. John Mellencamp, one of my favourite. Right. Is there a sense of pressure... For a girl or a boy growing up in in India, Indianapolis, yeah, uh, to rise to that level, to to become an artist, to become a musician, to become a writer, is do you ever feel that pressure, or do you think that's that just gives you something to aim for in terms of dream, dear dear child, dream? Yeah, right. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's interesting because we're a big. Indiana is such an interesting place, and Indianapolis specifically. There's a lot of there's a lot of people in the in the metropolitan um, you know city of Indi- of, of Indianapolis. Um, but at the time, at the same time, it's kind of a spread out city. It's strange here. Like I feel like it's almost a small town, but it's a big city. And there's a definitely there's a there's a very certain kind of a of an attitude of. Um, of, a, of Midwestern friendliness, Midwestern intimacy. You know, I never really felt uh, the pressure to be like, to be like any of the, the well-known people who came from here, but they were always sort of, I was always kind of like aware of them, mm-hmm. especially downtown because so many of their, their old houses are turned into, you know, museums. There's the, like the James Whitcomb Riley museum and there's the, um, the Kurt Vonnegut museum, Booth Tarkington turn of the century um, authors. Those are, are the are the people who kind of s- stood out in my mind, but also people like Babyface Edmonds and like the, the music. It's, we've always had such a thriving music scene and running a venue that I think Indianapolis has one of the most amazing, like thriving music scenes. And we, we always have a lot of Motown originated in, in Gary, a lot of like uh, 
jazz from the from the 20s and 30s originated in in the chatterbox and and mass ave and downtown indianapolis a part of me you know i wanted to get into film i I knew that i wanted to do something in the arts but i wasn't sure so i knew that i I wanted to go someplace completely different from the midwest which is why i went to new mexico uh coming back home i I couldn't see myself i want to live here at least for the next few years maybe the next decade because um I love it, and I appreciate Indianapolis more now than I did growing up here. I've come to come to really love it for what it is. It's difficult to explain unless unless you visit. Yeah, I yeah. feel a little bit uh, privileged or in a unique situation because running a venue, I see so many local local acts all the time. But the the musical talent specifically, a lot of amazing art talent, but the musical talent is is incredible. There's a lot of this longing. There's a, it's hard to describe a lot of longing, you know, to move to like New York or LA or to think of, of, of it as kind of as like your proving ground. A lot of angst, I think, that produces really good art. John Poindexter, Pete Buttigieg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, Mike Pence. Oh, uh, yeah, Mike, yeah, Mike Pence, right. Very much hated by, by Indianapolis. And the reason why he jumped to, uh, to Trump he he was up for gov- for re-election of governor and he knew he was going to lose so he resigned from the governorship in 20 and from his governorship in 2016 and jumped jumped ship like a <laughs> yeah i i went to a protest that had you know like 6000 people all chanting pence must go and he drive in 2016 he drive down um Meridian, which is a, a city that goes across the whole the whole length of the city, Pence must go yard signs. People would burn him in effigy at rallies. Oh, wow! So not a well liked figure in Indianapolis. He almost lost us a lot of business. He had that this RFRA bill he introduced in 2015, uh, and it, you know it was basically said they could legally discriminate against um, you know gay people. They could refuse them service. All of these conventions, Salesforce which is a big international company and Angie's List um, and uh, Gen Con, which is a gaming convention. These big places, um, you know, centered in Indiana, in Indianapolis, threatened to pull out. So they had to pretty much nullify it in order because he was, he was you know, bad every step of the way. But, you know, once you're bad for bad financially, then you're you're really screwed. Yeah, yeah. And and yet there he was standing up at the Republican National Convention and he uttered the words, let's make America great again, again. Yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. Uh. Hard right and come back to something close to your heart, Heron School of Art and Design. So I got my um, my my master's from, from Heron, mainly because they offered a pretty good scholarship and they let you teach you know, at a university level while you were still in the program. Uh, some amazing artists have graduated from that program. It's a weird connection, but Meryl Streep, her husband, Don Gummer, is a sculptor who went to Heron back in the 70s or 80s. It's such, it's it's an incredibly nice school. It's got incredible facilities. It's really state of the art. And a lot of it is thanks to Meryl Streep. They've poured uh, so much money into uh, the school. Uh, and so there's, you walk into one of the buildings and it just says, you know, donated by Meryl Streep on the wall. Uh, and it, it, there are other amazing artists who have graduated uh, from Heron as well. I, I mean, it's been around since the 
like the 18, 1880s, something like that. Um, but it's great. So I started teaching there. Uh, I teach an avant-garde film class. I teach video editing. Um, I've taught a painting class. Like as an intermediate artist, I can really jump around. I taught a photo class. Uh, and then I also teach communications and public speaking at University of Indianapolis, which is another, uh, that one's a private school. IUPUI is it's a combination of Indiana University and Purdue University, but it's centrally located downtown Indy. And, um, and so Heron is the art school that's inside of IUPUI. It's got amazing professors and facilities. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I love teaching there. Really like three jobs. I teach at those schools and I do videography jobs and I run Healer. And those, that's what I jump between since the other two are kind of jeopardized by the pandemic but teaching it's you're always going to need to teach uh but with the videography i do a lot of music videos uh i've I've done wedding videography now for like eight years uh i love it actually because i feel like if you really nail it um it's kind of the most stressful making the client happy with like a beautiful and i love editing because being able to piece it together uh and make something beautiful out of all these disparate elements is really, uh, really satisfying to me. Dozens of music videos for every genre. I've done, you know, hip hop and, and psych pop and punk and shoegaze. And, and I've done some, some filmmaking too. I, like I just finished a, um, a film that took about six years to make because one of our protagonists kind of had like a, you know, a, a, an existential thing. We'd have to kind of shoot around him and stuff to finish this. Uh, but it, but it came together, and it, so I've I've always got film projects on the on the back on the back burner. I've got a novel coming out um, uh, that'll come out sometime next year, so that's pretty cool. So I've, I've been, uh, in the pandemic, uh, I've been working a lot on on with my editors to get that to get that book ready. You are a triple threat because you also sing, and do you dance? I sing, and I yeah yeah yeah. Well, I don't dance that well, but I do love to dance. Anything cr- creative or or related to art any in any capacity uh i i really love now i looked at um the the list of u.s state foods um and uh couldn't really identify mm. uh one in particular uh, and, and i'm thinking well maybe that's because there's just so much what 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 do you eat when you go out you know if i'm gonna talk about indies food scene in in general we've got a We've actually got an amazing uh, food scene. We've got some some kind of like James Beard winning chefs. Um, so, so I wonder, you know, I think about how much different the, the restaurant landscape is going to be post pandemic. Uh, there's already been such a such a shakeup. You know, some places are kind of fighting to survive. Others are changing out, you know, how they operate, going takeout. Uh, you know, as far as how Indy's doing, uh, our cases are going down. We've thankfully like we've got a, We've got mayor, mayors um, and, and a governor that they listen to science, <laughs> and that's cool. Uh, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> but, um, but, but basically, you know, people are, people are still going out to eat, and, and there are an incredible number of, of really good restaurants here. Um, me and, and my family were, were very, like, foodie kind of people. My sister especially, every time she, she lives in France. I haven't, I haven't seen her since, um, since February. She's going to try to visit in December. She's the most like gourmand and she's actually, she's in radio. Um, she, she's awesome. And anyway, but, but she has such a passion for food. So whenever she's in town, we always go out, uh, go out to eat and, and try usually something new or something that just opened. Uh, we've got a really good diversity of, uh, of ethnic restaurants. 
Bluebeard is a place downtown that's really good. Milktooth and Beholder um, got a lot of like national recognition. Uh, their chef, pretty sure Jonathan Brooks, he was he was a, like a James Beard winning chef. He was on you know the Food Network and he was listed as one of the top top ten chefs in the country and all that. Um, I think we were in like an underrated food city uh, kind of kind of list. Um, so we've had quite a good culinary food scene. Uh, there are places I go where it's like, okay, I know they're going to have really good, you know, like artisanal, you know, uh, high, like hybrid country food mixed with like Indian food, like, like fusion, really good. That's the word I'm looking for. Creole places, really good Japanese, really good delis, um, like oyster bars, um, pretty, pretty much a, a thriving food scene. We've got a number of really amazing places like Amelia's, which is just like a local bread company, but a lot of places in the heart of the city that that really uh, curate t- to one kind of specialty, like making the best the best bread. Uh, livery is really good. The Rathskeller is famous. A lot of places that have been around for forever, and a lot of places that are like hipster places. Um, a lot of them concentrated in Fountain Square, which is the most like hip part of the city. Uh, used to be kind of derelict, and then a lot of artists started throwing, uh, turning all these these old um, department stores into art galleries. So it became, you know, they have a lot of First Friday art shows and things like that. Uh, we've got a lot of really good Mexican, a lot of really good Korean and Thai. If you had to go into the bunker with one particular dish, what what would it be? Do you think? I just really love. Uh, Asian dishes, a lot of Thai food, a lot of Korean, a lot of Vietnamese. My go-to is, you know, like Thai curry and Penang curries and chapchi and things like that. So, yeah, if, if I uh, if I had to go with like a few meals, it would all be just from like like an Indian place and a Korean place and a Thai place and a Japanese place, and I'd be set. I could eat the same three meals from those places, and I'd be I'd be fine. The best place for desserts in the city the most well-known place is called the uh, the cake bake shop uh-huh. and it's run by Gwendolyn Rogers she's the winner of the best cake the cake awards celebrities from all over the you know all over the world they have the best dessert like their peanut butter chocolate cheesecake thing is mm. you know it's insane wow. it's insane I was going to say, I've, I've been all over France, and I've had a lot of, like, French confectionaries, but it's the best cake that I've had, and I've, I've had a lot of cake. Worth looking up on TripAdvisor. One of the most beloved films from my early memory, which Dad introduced me to, was Hoosiers. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Now, the origin of the term it goes back to where they think maybe the, the late 1800s. Uh, yeah, they don't even know why they... Why they call us Hoosiers. Uh, it was all about uh, basketball. Yeah, beautiful film. My high school history teacher was in uh, Hoosiers. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. He's in a, he's in a scene. He, he played a spotlight blocker. Oh. <laughs> but that's the story he tells about when he was in Hoosiers. There's dishes that I'm sure every kid who has ever watched, well, not necessarily Hoosiers, but, but any, any American film, Two dishes you constantly hear spoken about, and we think we know what they are as Aussies, but we actually don't. First one, I dare say, is probably the most famous, biscuits and gravy. Biscuits and gravy, sure. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's standard standard, um, breakfast fare. 
Um, I think if you have to go get biscuits and gravy, you'd get it from like, oh, like like a Denny's. Or if you want to get really good biscuits and gravy, you'd go to like like one of those like all night places, like a Waffle House or like a Denny's. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like one of those places in the states that it, they're it's like a breakfast chain, but it's you only go there at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, after, after after a lot of drinks, it's delicious. It, it's not that it's not that hard. I don't think you know. I mean, it's like a gravy. It's like a gravy sauce, you know, which is, d- depends on what's in it. Sometimes it has sausage in it, uh, but it's just like s- salty and buttery sauce, and it's hot. And then it's just on like a biscuit. It's just on like a toasted piece of bread. And then you just eat it like a sandwich. Very standard fare. That I wanted to, to ask about as well, because a lot of people here, we think we know what grits is, but but grits, oh, you mean high fiber? No. It's just like bits of hard corn and then you heat it up and it gets kind of like a, like a creamy and you eat it with like a little bit of like cheese. Uh and that is my that is my classic go to breakfast. Yum. There's hominy grits made from hominy, which is like this special strange kind of corn. I don't even know how to describe hominy, but it's all corn. Uh, there's different kinds of corn. There's like the yellow grits, and then there's the white corn grit. Yes. I mean, everywhere in everywhere in the states, but it's, especially the Midwest, Indiana, Iowa, Illinois, Ohio. These states, corn is. It's in abundance. It's everywhere. Indianapolis looks like any any city. It's a beautiful city. You drive out of the city and it is cor- it's cornfields for miles and miles. Like children of the corn. That's what it looks like. <laughs> Everybody's heard of this one. Nobody knows what it is. Well, even though even though it's kind of in the name. Country fried steak. Now it's not limited to Indiana, but it's a dish that the Hoosiers love. What is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, I've had it so many times, and you eat it. You eat it, country fried steak in a sandwich is is the way that I've always eaten it. Thin breaded beef steak. It's pan fried or it's deep fried, and then they always have it with gravy. And again, that's even more. I think of that as even more southern. And then that serve, and they'd have like a biscuit with like okra, with like fried okra, deep fried okra, and that is the most. I mean, but there, Southern Indiana, you kind of get sort of southerny, even though it's it's really the north. It's a northern state, but Southern Indiana, like Bloomington, where I went to college for a couple of years, they they're really big into like the chicken fried steak. Oh, and the, the tenderloin sandwich—that's a huge one. That's just a giant piece of pork tenderloin with then like mustard and mayonnaise and oh um, yeah, it's great. barbecue. Yeah, yeah. America is. Is, is is polarized it is it is divided um and because i've always had a love affair with the country i i, I, ca- I cannot see the country as being uh inherently racist but there is so much that is going on that makes it appear as though just it's ugh. even as you said the pence the the bill that you said he was uh, he was going to try and put forward i mean ryan white who was one of the biggest aids activists uh, yeah, I was from uh, uh, Indiana. So, how would you describe what what's raging around you in Indiana and uh, and Indianapolis? Indianapolis is really interesting because a um, a young, you know, like a seventeen year old African American, uh, Sean Reed uh, was the kid's name. He was he was in a pursuit. He he was speeding, and then he was pulled over by cops. 
And then there's footage on it. He, he live streamed this encounter and he was, you know, he was sh- shot dead by the cops. And they claimed that he had a weapon on him. And it came out finally because of all the protests that he didn't, that he, that he did not have a weapon on him. And they pretty much killed him. And they have that on recorded. I mean, it's a terrible live stream. And, and we had a lot of, you know, mutual friends. And that was a big national story. He was one of the main people, you know, so we were kind of in the spotlight a little bit with that because uh, there were a lot of, I mean, there were, you know, protests going on everywhere. It, it's much quieter down now, but it's still going on. Uh, and I, I went to, uh, you know, my wife and I, we went to a, a number of those, of those protests uh, and those rallies. It was, it felt very immediate. He was someone who, who, who was, you know, killed by the cops. I mean, I, I, I would say that, yeah, we're a very divided country. America's very divided, but it's never really come to terms as a society. We haven't really come to terms with, um, with the, kind of the bloody, the brutalist history of the country. Mm. And if they're, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty left-leaning, uh, progressive sort of a guy. I was going to ask actually where your political leanings are. Okay, yeah. You know, uh, I have nothing but disdain for both of the American parties. You know, there's no real good. Op- I'm not a, I don't, I'm not a fan of Joe Biden, and I detest Trump. I mean, I, you know, I think that the the corporate lobbyists are so embedded in the American political system. It's an, it's an oligarchy. It's, it's a few have control. And they're basically, I think, preventing people. Um, they've conned people into thinking that they don't need access to things such as basic education and healthcare. You know these ba- these basic kind of human rights. Um, and it's sad. And 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 yet, I, I vacillate between kind of hope and despair a lot of the times. Where I, when I think about um, the future of America, because you take a look at the 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 majority of the people and what they and what they actually want and generally it's pretty aligned where they do want progress i just feel like that there's a uh, there's a contingency that's holding people back the best you know I, I think i think the pulse the movie that had everything to say that i that i felt about america was uh, one of Michael Moore's recent films. It was called Fahrenheit 11.9. Yes, yes. You, most people, I think, they would think that it would be like a Trump hit job movie, no. but it's not. It's why people were attracted to, to Trump. Some people, it was just a desperate move uh, of people who felt like they weren't getting getting heard. You know, I mean, there's a big, there's so much, I would say that there is unfortunately systemic racism that is embedded in the country, it doesn't have to be that way. People could be aware of, for instance, the you know that the American Constitution. Yeah, it's written by slave owners, but it's a living document. Yes. it can it can grow to be something more, and the country can grow to be something more. So sometimes I have faith. I do. I would consider myself a, a patriot. You know, I, I believe in in the principles of America. I just wish that um, that things would move along faster. <laughs> I'm a big Bernie Sanders supporter because I feel like the only person really in the limelight he's old he's got some problems but the guy is on was is honest and generally genuinely has compassion he genuinely cares about people and i don't know if i can say that for uh for the rest of them you know it's more just about platforms and pandering yeah i mean apart from the fact that that he he sounds more and more like larry david every day or maybe it's the other way around <laughs> yeah, he's gra- he's a grouch. No one's not saying he's a he's not a grouch. But Medicare for all that makes sense to me, and we have Medicare for all, pretty much. You know, it's interesting because there's this pushback 
because America, it's so it's been so right wing for so long. It's been right wing for the past, really, the past thirty years. And I would consider someone like Obama. He wasn't that left leaning. Pretty mo- pretty moderate, mm. really. When you when you look at it, people, would rather get idealistic about it, but that's true. You know, there's this pushback from Americans when you talk about uh, access to to public education and access to public health care and they go, oh, that's socialist. It's bonkers to me. It's like, well, do you not know the, you know, the history of, you don't know about FDR and the New Deal and the fact, that, you know, who do, who do you think pays for the uh, the fire department and the, and the highways and the national parks? You have social security. That's all socialism. People are crazy. It's like even to, to most of the world, Bernie Sanders, really, he's, he's a moderate. It's only in the United States that he'd be considered a radical. He's not a radical. So, and and I feel I'm lucky also. A lot of Americans, they do not get outside of America. They have a, an America-centric perspective. And I know people, you know, like this. Thankfully, I'm in a pretty urban, progressive city. Indianapolis is like this blue progressive dot inside of, you get out of the city and you get people who have never left their small town their entire life. And so there's this there's this fear of the other and the unknown because they're just afraid of, of what they don't know of stepping out of their cultural comfort zone. You know, I'm fortunate in that I have, I have traveled, I've seen a lot of the world. And, uh, and so it it just takes stepping outside the country for a few weeks to realize, uh, oh man, America, we've got, we've got some sickness. (laughs) In some ways, I think Trump's kind of a positive, maybe long-term because at least he's, he's overt. He's like the brutality or the ugliness of American history but Trump, he just is the thing because he can't be anything other than himself. As much as I don't like the guy, I don't really blame him for being him. I mean, he's only ever been Donald Trump. He can't be anything other than this, uh, you know, the, this soul, this soulless kind of narcissistic, you know, tower living in a tower of gold. Yeah, he's like, he's like a cartoon villain or something. <laughs> something. As a friend of mine who I was interviewing from New York a couple of weeks back, uh, he he said, uh, "Yeah, look." The, the Republicans, uh, they're evil, and the and the Democrats couldn't couldn't organize a bake sale. And I thought, oh, okay, that's <laughs> nailed it, nailed it. Just to see again, not without precedent, but who are these Republicans, Republicans coming out where with Joe? Yeah, the Lincoln Project. It's a group of um, you know old diehard Republicans who are trying to to pool a bunch of money together and fight mm. so there is that pushback you you're so hip you're hip with the u.s politics oh thank you i was talking to um a couple of friends of mine who some of them live here they still have family in the in the u.s but it's gotten to the point where they feel as though they are um on the on the, on the cusp of giving up their their u.s citizenship yeah that is such a big thing do, do you understand that where that mindset comes from how how you could be so yeah i don't know what the word is disappointed or or i understand it you know it's interesting because my my sister she she's lived in france now for three years my my little sister and um because she teaches there and she's lived there long term she gets she's close to getting her french citizenship and uh and she wants us to get dual citizenship she wants you know uh she none of no one in my family we're we're not all very like hopeful about you know america's near future it's hard to predict yeah you know what's going to go on around the election um but you know it's something my wife and i talk about a lot and we've got this idea of of thinking you know well you can't like abandon your 
country. The idea of just being like, okay, well, things are bad and I'm going to leave. You know, the truth is, as uh, yeah. white people, our lives, if Trump wins again, if what, you know, it's not going to change that drastically. You know what I mean? Other people, uh, depending on how it goes with the Supreme Court, uh, their lives could change. But yeah, we're in this position where it's not really going to be that drastic. And, and I think, well, wouldn't it, it makes more sense to stay where we are and try to be part of a positive change uh, however we can. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, it's not dire enough to where I would think about just abandoning the country. But I have to say, I'm a big fan of Canada, and there are times when um, <laughs> there are times when Canada looks kind of looks kind of nice. I, I saw someone wrote something online. They said uh, living in Canada right now is like living in the apartment above a meth lab. <laughs> it's a little bit dangerous down there. It's a little bit rocky. Um, but then again, at the same point, I'm like, okay, so these are these are kind of uh, vital cataclysmic times. I think I'd rather. Where the be where the change is going and be in this and be in the thick of it. I do feel a certain amount of some kind of civic duty in that regard. Uh, yeah, and my wife's a you know she's she's a doctor and she's just like yeah I'm not gonna leave I'm not gonna leave my practice. It's not even a question in her mind that idea of okay well if the shit hits the fan we we're moving to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> so my sister wants us to all go to France with her. She lives in Bordeaux, and she lives this life that seems very – it seems pretty appealing. Yeah, I'm not going to yeah, lie. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's um, a Canadian friend of mine who uh, who's just gotten his uh, citizenship. I called him up last night. He's from, uh, he's from Toronto. And um, Terry said, yeah, 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 yeah. We're, you know, the freeze-dried Americans, as they like to call us, uh, living in Canada. It's like, uh, like living up in the cheap seats, <laughs> watching, watching it all go on. But- <laughs> There is, there is hope. I mean, like you yeah. said, the the, yeah. the governor, your governor was uh, Eric uh, Holcomb. He he follows the science. He listens to the science. He's a Republican. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know, it's like not all Repub. It, it's sort of like it's interesting. Uh, you know, obviously, yeah, I'm, I'm more left leaning. Again, I don't really like the. I really don't like e- either party. I don't even like any of the third party candidates. I'm pretty. I wouldn't say I'm apolitical. I'm, I'm left leaning. Like I said, Bernie Sanders, he's the closest to someone that I think actually had his heart in the right place. He is the most earnest of the politicians. You know, but but back to yeah, back to what you were saying. Um Holcomb, yeah, he's he's a Republican and but he's he's a sensible person. I mean, so was John McCain. Like John mm. McCain, that's a Republican. Dick Luger, Richard Luger, who was um uh an Indiana senator who passed away not that long ago, who I who I met actually in in High school. He was amazing. He spearheaded an initiative um, to try to get rid of uh, for nuclear uh, disarmament back in the back in the eighties. And he was a Republican, but you know uh, there have been a lot of Republicans who are still level-headed. Uh, I would say, yeah, sure. They you know they're they're maybe fiscal or social conservatives, but they're they're not Trump. People. And Trump isn't even a Republican. I don't know how how well people in the country and outside of the U.S. No, but you know Trump for for thirty something years he was a registered Democrat. They're like a cult. He's like a, and they all wear their red hats and they have their slogans and they'll follow him into the. They'll do like a Trump death march and and it and Republic. There are a lot of Republicans who are outside of that cult and there are others who just fall in line. I never thought I'd respect someone like Mitt Romney, who I you know I, I thought was just like a kind of like a fat cat Wall Street didn't care about you know people. But instead, he uh, 
he marched in the protests and he spoke out against Trump. You know, in so someone like Mitt Romney or John McCain or Richard Luger, those are Republicans I can I, I respect and I admire. Yeah, well, they did a really good job of actually making Romney look like that fat cat when he when he when he ran, but then he ends up crossing the floor and and very very well respected. John Kasich, the former governor of Ohio, sixty right. ninth governor, I think he was of Ohio. He's he yeah he appeared at the. Republic, uh, sorry, the Democratic National Convention, talking about how we're at a crossroads, and the and the, what I loved about what he said was talking about his friendship with uh, with Biden. He said, "You know, yeah. Biden and I, we disagree on a whole lot of things, but that's okay. That's America. <laughs> you you can disagree if you're willing right. to just right. have the discussion and." Like you said, that cult of personality yeah. gets in the way. Yeah. And you know, look at look at Bloomberg. Bloomberg himself, he said, heck, I've been a Democrat, I've been a Republican, I've been an independent, I've been all of those things. <laughs> do you think at this 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 next election, irrespective of who gets in, do you think there's the real possibility that there could be violence in the streets? Yeah, oh man. Yeah, it's so hard to predict right now. I feel like no matter who wins, yeah, there will be uh, there will be protests that could that will definitely be high tension and and yeah, I think I think there probably will be. It's been like that since June, you know. I mean, Portland it was nonstop. Uh, it, it happened in Indy, you know. We had I oh god, there's a night where like three people were killed in protests downtown. Uh, so it's everywhere, and it's you know it's sad. It's just commonplace. It's uh. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of unavoidable. There's such a division. Yeah, there isn't as much compromise. It's so it's more divided than it's been at any point. And there's some people I feel like who really go, it's like off the rails, and it's like, okay, well, it's like second civil war time. And I don't think things will get to that kind of a point. Mm. I feel like the, uh, I feel like there are enough people in the country. They only care about, you know bread on their table, food on their table. And I feel like that is cross-platform. That's left and right. That's a lot of people. My hope, maybe I'm speaking optimistically, but but yeah, I I, sometimes I feel really hopeful. And I feel like, you know, Trump is just, he's kind of like this bitter medicine. The mask slipped off. And the pandemic, I feel like it's been destabilizing in a lot of ways. You know, the economic ramifications, been a disaster in the United States. I mean, Trump denied it, and the you know cases. And thankfully, Indy has been pretty shielded from that. We've we've been you know like like I was saying, yeah, like Holcomb is has been has listened to science. He wasn't like one of the governors who just sided with Trump. But I kind of feel like it long term uh, will be something healthy too. I think it'll it'll make us realize, hey, maybe we need to invest more in healthcare. Um, maybe we need to like you know, uh, re- recognize that there are things that are burdening people. Um, and if we can make, if we can invest in, in a better kind of a system, then let's do it. So I like to think that there will be change and that it's just sort of a, uh, a time of tribulation that's needed to wake people up because none of the disasters that are happening, such as let's say the systemic racism and police brutality in America or the pandemic crisis in America, which is hinged again on a, a terrible public health system. Yeah. It's not like any of those are new. You know, it's not like it's like, oh, 2020 is cursed. All of these things, they've been building for decades. 
It's not like anything's new. We've we've known that a big pandemic was scientists have been saying it forever and we just ignored it. So now maybe it'll be a time where we take things seriously and we start and the looming thing is climate change. Maybe yes. it'll be enough. You know, it's the the California wildfires, all the disasters are are awful. If it has to get dire enough for people to wake up and say, Hey, this is a problem and we need to take direct action, then that's better than just a slow incremental worsening that people can ignore. Yeah. yeah. Or justify. Inaction. That right. It's the inaction that's bad. So if if Trump being this quasi kinda, you know, fascist uh oligarchy tyrant, if if he wakes people up and and to what leadership needs to be, then good. Maybe he'll be like a like chemotherapy or something. Yeah. Like, Shot in the arm. Right, right, right. That's what that's how I hope. Yeah. Yeah, I I I hear you. I I think maybe whatever the election result is, maybe people will just be too darn exhausted to go out and <laughs> and protest more. Looking at Indianapolis, actually, just touching on that, yeah, 113,000 cases, three and a half thousand deaths. Uh, yeah, and my and my wife, you know, she's she's been taking care of COVID patients now for, you know, for months, and thankfully she's in she has a really good hospital network, and they took it seriously from the very beginning. So she's always, you know, she I I, I used to like worry about her much more than I do now. She's so prepared and she's got what they need and our medical supplies are so good. I feel pretty good about, you know, India in general. When I think about the United States largely, oh, man, it would be – I wouldn't want to be in, like, Florida or Alabama. Oh, no, or Boston. Oh. Boston is bad. Yeah. And and as far as the the protests, the social justice protests, the Black Lives Matter stuff uh, in Indy, like I said, because of – really because of Sean Reed – uh, it's been huge, um, you know, but but also uh, the protests have never really been that violent. There's no place that was like, you know, looted or or destroyed. I mean, I went to, geez, I've been to maybe seven or eight of the protests. I've got friends, friends in them, friends who, who, have, uh, who have who have led them, who have got, gotten a lot of publicity over it. So I don't, I'm, I'm pretty proud of Indy when it comes to uh, to both of those crises, but I can't say really that I'm proud of, uh, of the United States on a whole and it's handling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, thank you to your, uh, your wife for her service and, 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 you know, kudos to you for at least getting out there and, uh, and, and, and providing a, a voice. Um, change cannot be, I'm paraphrasing, but change cannot be made by, uh, sitting by and watching from the sidelines in the words of, uh, more than a vote, which was uh, started up by, um, among others, uh, uh, LeBron James. Of uh, can I can I throw a little bit of a word association at you? Yeah, totally. Comedy. Uh, I think comedy should be like a form of truth telling. Film. I try to absorb as much as possible, but sometimes I'll go in these loops where I'll get really into. Um, films from a specific uh era or i'll dive into a specific kind of director so during quarantine i've i've just been trying to tackle i've got a growing list that's hundreds of mo- of movies to watch <laughs> i'm always adding to it it's always growing and it's hundreds and hundreds of films oh. do you guys have halloween do you it, guys do a halloween kind of it's thing? it's been getting bigger and bigger every year it's it's hilarious i look at it and think this is national institution if you go to america but 
Australia, but it's but it's become fun for the kids. So it's like, oh well, why not? <laughs> Halloween is my favorite holiday. It's the one. It's it's the only thing that I really love. That I really love. I love it so much. <laughs> so I like uh, anything that's kind of like sp- spooky. So I love a lot of horror. Um, so I've been watching some kind of older older horror movies. Uh, the one I'm in the middle of right now is called Spider Baby, and it's a very low budget sort of like like a monsters but it also or like the adams family but it also deals with kind of like psychological horror and that these it's these children that have these psychological disorders it's very funny in a very kind of black comedy kind of a way um so yeah i've been getting into that i've really been enjoying the shivering truth which is the show on on um Adult Swim, and it's just these tiny bite-sized episodes of of really surreal uh, claymation, um, and it's very scary, terror, absolutely terrifying. Uh, I love the whole string of like independent horror. The guy who did Hereditary and Midsummer. Oh, uh, Ari Aster, yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. went to the same film school that Seth Kanoff and I went to in in santa fe new mexico i didn't know him i had a world history class he was a senior when i was a freshman loved like uh, it follows and the babadook and all the, all these really cool like independent horror films yeah. yeah the babadook well that was that was um uh, an aussie and uh, james Wan. he studied at uh, rmit here in uh, victoria i didn't know the babadook or i'd forgotten that the babadook was uh, was australian okay art art oof uh I think my favorite thing with art is that it should be, you know, it's like a tired, I don't know who said it, tired line, but the idea of uh, art being like a mirror that's held up to society's face to show all the, like, the warts and everything. I mean, art can serve many purposes, but I, lo- I personally love the idea of art pointing out uh, vulnerabilities or truths. Or I love the idea of art being transportive, uh, you know, uh, transcending the normal. That's the kind of art that I'm personally interested in. Fantastic. Okay. All right. This one should be this one should be a quick one for you. Sport. Who do you who do you root for? Oh yeah. Uh, well, I mean, growing up in Indianapolis, growing up in Indiana, it's it's com- basketball is what I've followed more than anything. So as far as something where I watch watch it regularly or like if I'm talking to my brother about stuff, it's always uh, like the Pacers. Pacers, yeah. Okay. Big like Paul George person. Um, yeah. Yeah, and classic Pacers as a kid was like I was a big, uh, you know, like Reggie Miller. He was the guy. He was the man. Indiana Pacers. Yeah. Is that mascot still, um, what was it, Boomer? Yeah, Boomer. Boomer's still around. Oh, yeah. My dad worked. Uh, he's a, uh, he's in, in uh, advertising, an advertising executive. And so his clients would always hook him up so as a kid, it was always going to, you know, it was always going to Pacers games. Very spoiled. Black Lives Matter. They definitely do. Yeah, I'm a big uh, supporter uh, and try to be an ally as much as possible, especially if you're in America and you realize a lot of Americans don't want to face sort of this brutal history, even the history of the police in America, which was first formed just to catch runaway slaves. I mean, yeah, uh, I feel like... Uh, I feel like it's a good period of reckoning. I hope that it leads to lasting change. AOC. Speaking truth to power. She's passionate, uh, beautiful, uh, lover, big fan. Yeah, she's brave. She says what she wants, but she says it in a way with conviction 
feel like she's uh she's kind of the kind of future I envision. Have you binged on anything lately? Shit's Creek? Oh yeah, I love love Shit's Creek. Uh the best thing I've seen most recently that I was obsessed with. It was a it's a German show on Netflix called Dark. I, that I've really loved more than anything I've seen in a while. It's just a it's such a far-reaching but intimate drama. Uh you know, it deals with time travel and generations of of families it's it's great it's fantastic where to from here for you in the next you know few weeks months 12 months oh man yeah 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 um you know what i've really been diving into lately is virtual reality and the potential for vr to um bridge the gap with with the pandemic so that we can have a level of entertainment and art and social connectivity in a way that is still intimate yet distanced. Um, I'm working on building some uh, explorable environments in virtual reality. That's what I'm really loving lately. Well, I've got uh, I've got some friends here who are exploring that, so I'll have to um, have to hook us all up once we once we get back to it all. Yeah. All right, look, Matt. Thank you so much, Matt, for, for giving me all this time. I'm just, I'm really, yeah. truly humbled. Thank you so very much. Val, thanks for, ha- thanks for having me on. Dovidzania. Yeah. Please take care. Stay safe. You as well, Val. It was wonderful talking to you. Bye for now. Notes, topics of interest, and further reading. My American friend Matt spoke of installation art. Now, the textbook definition being an artistic genre of three-dimensional works that are often site-specific and designed to transform the perception of a space. Mia Wolf is an arts and entertainment group based in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Mia Wolf was established in 2008 as an art collective. Matt also spoke of a reliquary, also referred to as a shrine or by the French term chasse. It is a container for relics which are purported or actual physical remains of saints such as bones, pieces of clothing or some object associated with saints or other religious figures. Born August 15, 1950, Andre Serrano is an American photographer and artist who has become famous through his photos of corpses and his use of feces and bodily fluids in his work, notably his controversial work Piss Christ. The Heron School of Art, located at 735 West New York Street, Indianapolis, part of IUPUI, which is the Indiana University, Purdue University. Don Gummer is an American sculptor. His early work concentrated on tabletop and wall-mounted sculpture, but in the mid-1980s, he shifted his focus to large freestanding works, often in bronze, and yes, he is Mr. Meryl Streep. Check out more at heron, that's H-E-R-R-O-N, dot I-U-P-U-I dot E-D-U. And that saying that Matt paraphrased is from George Bernard Shaw. You use a glass mirror to see your face. You use works of art to see your soul. Now, as far as the American education system is concerned, that sort of stuff fascinates me. So I'll take a bit of a dive over the course of the next few episodes. Let's call it American Ed, What the Frosh, Part 1. Now, let's clear up the confusion. Someone in their first year is a freshman, the freshman year. You might sometimes hear this shortened to frosh. Someone in their second year, the sophomore year, is a sophomore. Sometimes sophomore is shortened to soph. Now, as a side note, the word sophomoric means juvenile, or as the Merriam-Webster's dictionary puts it, conceited and overconfident of knowledge, but poorly informed and immature. The word comes from the ancient Greek and combines the roots for sophos, for wise, and moros, for fool. According to some of my American friends, being a wise fool definitely reflects the kind of self-confidence that characterises second-year college students. (laughs) 
with its first race in 1911, the Indianapolis 500, also formerly known as the Indianapolis 500 Mile Race, or simply the Indy 500, is an annual 200 lap automobile race held at Indianapolis Motor Speedway in Speedway, Indiana. Ars Gratia Artis adorns the logo of the MGM Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer movie studio, designed by its then-chief publicist Howard Detz in 1916. Art for art's sake. The usual English rendering of l'art pour l'art, a French slogan from the early 19th century. It's a phrase that expresses the philosophy that the intrinsic value of art, and the only true art, is divorced from any didactic, moral, political or utilitarian function political leanings. My American friend Matt described himself as a fairly left-leaning progressive. The left, like the Democratic Party, has gone through many changes since the 19th century, and the Democrats only became a consistently left-leaning party in the late 20th century. Before that, there were liberal or progressive Republicans, particularly in the Northeast and West Coast, and there were conservative Democrats, particularly in the South. But in the 1960s, and with the civil rights struggle, saw the rise of the new left, and the subsequent sorting of the two major parties into a progressive party, the Democrats, and a conservative party, the Republicans. Look, whatever you call it, the American left nowadays is strongly committed to ideals of equality and civil rights for many groups that were previously denied full participation in American society. An oligarchy, from the Greek oligarchia, from oligos, few, and archo, to rule or to command. The modern United States has been described as an oligarchy because economic elites and organised groups representing special interests have substantial independent impacts on US government policy while average citizens and mass-based interest groups have little or no independent affluence. These people may be distinguished by nobility, wealth, education, corporate, religious, political or military control. Such states are often controlled by families who pass their influence from one generation to the next but inheritance is not a necessary condition of oligarchy. And if I was to simplify it, which is a dangerous thing to do when it comes to politics, an oligarchy is a form of power structure in which power rests with a small number of people. The Indiana Senate Bill 101, SB 101, was also titled the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, or RFRA. It was a law in the US state of Indiana which allowed individuals and companies to assert as a defence in legal proceedings that their exercise of religion has been, or is likely to be, substantially burdened. The bill was approved by a vote of 40 to 10 and on March 26, 2015, Indiana Governor, now Vice President, Mike Pence, signed SB 101 into law. The law's signing was met with criticism by organisations such as the National Collegiate Athletic Association, the NCAA, Apple's CEO Tim Cook, Subaru of America, the Gamer Convention Gen Con, and the Disciples of Christ. Technology companies such as Salesforce.com and Angie's List said they would halt their plans to expand in the state. Proponents of the law claim that it protects free exercise of religion and freedom of conscience. Burned in effigy. To burn a dummy or other figure that represents a hated person. One positive aspect is, until they have burned you in effigy, you can't really be considered a famous or infamous leader. Born March 15, 1935, Jimmy Lee Swaggart, side note, a cousin to rock and roller Jerry Lee Lewis, is an American Pentecostal evangelist. Swaggart's TV ministry began in 1971 and at its height in the 1980s, his telecast was transmitted to over 3,000 stations and cable systems every week. Sexual scandals with prostitutes in the late 1980s and early 1990s led the Assemblies of God to defrock him. Kurt Vonnegut Jr., born November 11, 1922, was an American writer. In a career spanning over 50 years, Vonnegut published 14 novels, three short story collections, five plays, and five works of non-fiction, with further collections being published after his death. He is most famous for his best-selling 1969 novel, Slaughterhouse-Five. He died April 11, 2007.
Born July 29, 1869, Newton Booth Tarkington was an American novelist and dramatist, best known for his novels The Magnificent Ambersons and Alice Adams. He is one of only four novelists to win the Pulitzer Prize for fiction more than once, and in the early 1900s was considered America's greatest living author and helped create a golden age of literature in Indiana. He died May 19, 1946. James Whitcomb Riley, born October 7, 1849. The Hoosier poet became a national celebrity through his poetry and performances as he introduced audiences across America to the vernacular and attitudes of the Indiana countryside through his dialect poetry. He performed to packed theatres and sold thousands of anthologies of his poetry and at the peak of his career moved into 528 Lockerbie Street, which is now a museum. He resided there until his death on July 22, 1916. Born November 22, 1899, Hoagland Howard Hoagie Carmichael was an American singer, songwriter and actor. He was described as the most talented, inventive, sophisticated and jazz-oriented of all of the great craftsmen of pop songs in the first half of the 20th century. He died December 27, 1981. Carol Lombard, born October 6, 1908, was an American actress particularly noted for her energetic, often offbeat roles in screwball comedies. In 1999, the American Film Institute ranked Lombard 23rd on its list of the greatest female stars of classic Hollywood cinema. She died January 16, 1942. Born April 10, 1959, Kenneth Brian Edmonds, better known by his stage name Babyface, is an American singer, songwriter and record producer. He has written and produced over 26 number one R&B hits throughout his career and has won 11 Grammy Awards. Richard Green Lugar, born April 4, 1932, was a highly respected American politician who served as a United States Senator from Indiana from 1977 to 2013. He was a member of the Republican Party. He died April 28, 2019. John Marlon Poindexter, born August 12, 1936, is a retired United States Naval Officer and Department of Defense official. He was a member of the Republican Party and was Deputy National Secretary Advisor and National Security Advisor for the Ronald Reagan administration. Born December 6, 1971, Ryan White was an American teenager who became a national symbol after he contracted AIDS from an injection of Factor VIII, a substance necessary for blood clotting to treat his haemophilia. The stigmatisation that White faced because of the disease and his family's subsequent fight against that mistreatment made him a spokesperson for the fair treatment of HIV-AIDS sufferers and served to educate the American public about the disease. He died April 8, 1990. Dreja Jean, a.k.a. Sean Reed, was fatally shot in Indianapolis following a police pursuit that was broadcast live. And at some point, they say Reed fired a weapon. As he ran, an officer first attempted to tase him. The taser failed to stop Reed, who was then shot by the officer in question. Whether or not Sean fired back is being disputed to this day. He was 21. A townie can be described as many things. Heck, in Britain, it's a loutish or aggressive young person. But think of it this way. It's a person who has lived in a small US town for his or her entire life. 45 degrees from ordinary, Massachusetts Avenue is indie culture at its finest. Known affectionately as Mass Ave, this five-block area is ripe with theatres, restaurants, art galleries and eclectic independent boutiques. Stout's Shoes, the nation's oldest shoe store, is there, which was established in 1886. Everything that Matt mentioned is there. Blue beard, milk tooth, beholder, and if I ever make it there, I'm heading straight to 435 Massachusetts Avenue, the location of Chatterbox Jazz Club, in the hope of catching Wynton Marsalis or Mick Jagger 
kicking back and enjoying the music. Somewhere in Fountain Square, I'll get myself some hominy grits, which is basically corn that has been prepared, treated, washed, hulled, etc., with an alkali in a process called nixtamalization. Grits are often served with other flavourings as a breakfast dish, savoury or sweet, gimme both. Gimme both. But I'll have to travel about 8 miles, 12 kilometres north via North Meridian Street, where all those anti Mike Pence yard signs used to live, to 6515 Carrollton Avenue to get to that famous cake bake shop. Marge, they got Gwendolyn Rogers. James Andrews Beard, born May 5, 1903, was an American chef, cookbook, author, teacher and television personality. Beard was a champion of American cuisine who taught and mentored generations of professional chefs and food enthusiasts. His legacy lives on in 20 books, other writings and his foundation's annual James Beard Awards in a number of culinary genres. He died January 23, 1985. Check out the podcast Matt referenced at National Public Radio or NPR.org. It's called Cultural Manifesto and its creator, Kyle Long, will introduce your ears to intriguing new sounds and styles of music from all sorts of international traditions. It'll be published in 2021, but please keep an eye out for the book Needs by my American friend Matt Panfill. It'll be published by Thurston Howell Press. This podcast could not have been produced without the assistance of my long-distance pole dancer extraordinaire, Vanessa Hart-Miller. And a big thank you to our talent scout, Seth Kanoff. My American Friend, Episode 6, Matt, was recorded September 20, 2020. Please reach out. Send me an email, info at mafpodcast, that's M-A-F, podcast.com.au. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>